1901, a woman by the name of Annie Taylor climbed into a barrel so that she could ride that barrel over Niagara Falls, the first person to do so. The reason for her crazy endeavor? She was struggling to make ends meet, and she was hoping for fame and financial security. It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage, a faith and family mortgage team that tries to improve your financial outlook without having to ship you over a 170-foot waterfall. Our mortgage team happens to be an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money through a refinance, or help you with a cash-out refinance, cashing out some of your home's equity to use for life. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. Michael Rydelnik is available here for us. And so we have missed you. It's been a uh, great a season of rest for you, I'm hoping. But uh, we have so many questions for you, Michael, <laughs> yeah. that uh, I think we're going to be with you for the next week before you can answer them all. Okay. I'm looking forward to answering those questions. It's great to be back with you. Well, it's great to have you back. And, our, you know, our first question is going to be, how is the rest? Oh, uh, well. You know, I had a little surgery, some complications afterwards. Doing fine now, so that's let's you know, as uh, Kramer on Seinfeld used to say, "Giddy up to the future." You know, <laughs> here's to the future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Michael, we're just gonna dive right in, if that's okay, just to get your your blood flowing again, so you can remember how to do this. You know, and and so well, I was on Saturday on Open Line. Okay, okay. So so that was your your <laughs> that other program. Yeah, your primer <laughs> to get ready for for the Mondays. I do want to say that there were people all over Moody Radio that sent, uh, when they heard that I was out with surgery and and some other issues, they sent letters and cards to Moody Bible Institute. They posted on Facebook. They sent all these notes. I am so grateful for our audience, particularly people from Chattanooga who, mm. who actually wrote. And they were really, really gracious and kind, and I'm grateful for that. Well, Michael, let me just say this for um, those of us here in the Tennessee Valley. We love you, my friend, and uh, we're so blessed to have you with us, not just on Open Line, but with us here on Mornings with Tom and Tommy. And our first question, I mean, this one's been held for a little while. Kyle wants to know about this. Uh, As a follower of Christ, can I be cremated and still be risen when the Lord Jesus returns? Well, that's, that's the one thing. The Lord Jesus can raise people from the dead. He can take decomposed bodies and restore them. Uh, He can take bodies that have fallen to the bottom of the sea. But no, when it it comes to cremation, that's the one. No, of course. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing that people are concerned about all the time when they talk about cremation. Now, I would say two things about cremation. One, there's nothing in the Bible that prohibits it. And I do believe those, you know, molecules don't go away. They just change their form. And so the Lord Jesus will be able to raise those molecules. I think if he can raise anyone from the dead, from a decomposed body, he certainly can raise those from the dead from cremated bodies. That's the first thing. So there's nothing prohibiting it. Second, and this is important, never in Scripture is anyone who has an honorable death Never is anyone cremated. Therefore, I have the 
perception from scripture that that is not generally what God intends us to do. Now, I used to be a little nervous about saying that. I used to say it was my personal opinion, and it is my personal opinion, because of the Jewish tradition of treating a body with uh, respect and because of my family perishing at Treblinka and Auschwitz and being cremated there. Mm. I just I just didn't feel good about cremation. But Mike Fabares, uh, pastor of, of a mega church out in California on Moody Radio, he's chairman of the board on the chairman of the board of trustees on the board of trustees of Moody Bible Institute. He's not the chairman, but he's on the board of trustees. And he substitutes for me very often on open line. He went through in a book he wrote about heaven and the afterlife and showed how consistently in scripture only the only people cremated were those who had dishonorable deaths. And he says, by implication, he would suggest that people, even with the financial hardship of of planning a uh, funeral with with a normal burial, uh, that he suggests not commands, but suggests that uh, people prepare for that. They don't want to impose a, a problem on their kids who will uh, be involved in their their funerals. The better thing he says is prepare for it now. Set aside money for it now. Uh, take care of it now, so that you can have a proper burial. That's the uh, that's the suggestion for Mike Fabares, and I I am fairly convinced by that. Okay. okay, all right. Thank you so much. You're hearing from uh, Dr. Michael Rydelnik. I know you've missed him over the holiday season. And if you have a question, you can go ahead and text that to us right now at four two three six two nine eighty nine hundred. And uh, Michael, let's do one more since we have you here. Can, can we ask this question? It's um, it's the basic question is, can you please explain Luke nine twenty seven to me? And, and I pulled it up in the ESV is. But I tell you, truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. That that seems that the that, that uh, that's either a big lie or there must be some other answer. Exclamation. The Lord Jesus is not a big liar. I would say keep reading. It says. About eight days after these words, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Uh, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory were speaking uh, and were speaking of his death, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. It appears that what the Lord Jesus meant by saying that they would see the kingdom of God, they would see the rulership of God in glory through the transfiguration. They would see ultimately what is going to be norm when the Lord Jesus returns and establishes his throne in glory. So they would see God's rulership through the transfiguration. They were going to get a glimpse of it. And that's what that was talking about. This is Open Line Chat with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. We're so happy to have him back. And he looks good, y'all. We're looking at him uh, through Zoom. And he's got a wonderful smile on his face. And um, his wife has has kept him in great health. So we we thank God for that. And uh, so here's the next question. So this person says, I have a question about suffering. How do you Mm. determine if you're suffering or persecuted for God's glory or not? In my opinion, when we're suffering, no matter what we're suffering for, or persecuted, it doesn't matter. It's always for God's glory. Because how we respond to suffering brings glory to God. If we respond 
appropriately, if we live by faith, if we trust him, uh, if, if we don't become embittered, uh, if we are responding properly, no matter what the cause is, we can always bring glory to God. Even if God allows difficulties into our life as a discipline, which I happen to believe that discipline isn't always negative. It isn't always uh, like there's a problem, corrective. Uh, it may be a discipline to strengthen us. Mm. So, uh, but if there's a problem and God has allowed some difficulty to get our attention, even that, how we respond to that, if there's an issue that needs to be repented of, uh, we can do that and that will bring glory to God. So in every way, when we suffer oppression, difficulty, persecution, in every way, we can always bring glory to God and that's the purpose of it. Okay, so Michael, as you talk about that, is it, is it primarily, is it truly our response to what's happening that can glorify the Lord, or do we just have that habit of taking it in our own strength and just, I'm suffering for the Lord, and, and turning it internal instead of like truly allowing the Lord to, to work through that moment? Well, I, th- I think the answer is in Second Corinthians 12, when Paul prayed three times to have that thorn in the flesh uh, removed, and the answer he received from the Lord was uh, my strength is sufficient, my grace, that means God's enablement, that's what that's referring to. Grace mm-hmm. sometimes means un- undeserved kindness, but it also can mean uh, it's strengthening or enablement. Mm-hmm. And when he says, uh, my grace is sufficient for you, uh, for power is perfected in weakness, that when we suffer, when we have a difficulty, when we're even persecuted, I think that we can't do it in our own strength. We have to rely on his strength. Uh, and, and sometimes we don't even know how we're doing it. There are times when we've had difficulties in our lives, we think, I don't know how I'm coping. It's the Holy Spirit living within us, empowering us to do it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that the it says in, uh, Paul wrote that any person who's a follower of Jesus will will suffer persecution. The least claimed promise in scripture, I'll tell it to you right now. There's We always say, claim your promises. Well, the Lord Jesus made a promise. Here's what he said. In this world, you will have tribulation. I don't see anyone going, wow, things are going pretty well right now. You know, Lord, please bring me that tribulation. We don't need to pray that because in this world, we will have difficulties. We will have tribulations and troubles. That's just part of it. What we need to do is say, through tribulation, through persecution, I want to bring glory to God. I want to respond appropriately by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the, the way to deal with it. Uh, and, and that's how we bring glory to God. Uh, that's why strength is perfected in weakness. That's mm-hmm. that's what that's talking about. That's why the Lord Jesus said, fear not, when he said, you know, we'll have tribulation. I've overcome the world. He's stronger than all that, and he can give us the power to deal with it. His name is Dr. <laughs> Michael Rydelnik, and this is Open Line Chat. We have one more question that came in. Tommy, do you happen to see, see that one there? Yes. Yes. Um, so this question has to do with the book of Genesis. Um, how would you respond to the arguments that the first several chapters of Genesis are written poetry or myths as opposed to a literal history? So this can 
this can take us to the top of the hour. <laughs> uh, really not. You know, it's not in poetic form. So we know it's not a poet. It's not a poem. Okay. Uh, there, there may be a poem in it, you know, uh, but it's written as narrative. And that's the very first thing that I would say. It is written in narrative style. Uh, the only poem is at the end of chapter one in verse 27, where it says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. That's, that's the only thing where it drops into poetic meter. Uh, otherwise, it's written as pure narrative. And, and that's important because when the Old Testament and the New Testament has things written in narrative form and narrative prose, that's written as fact as truth and not myth it's it's history not myth and so uh it's not poetry and by nature of it being narrative it's not myth it's factual now uh there are some people who think that the word day can mean much longer than a 24-hour period and that's true even in chapter two uh in the early verses there it says in the uh, this is what happened in the day that God created the world, and it's referring to the six days of creation, right? Mm -hmm. So day can have there it means six days, it means time. So, but I'm not one of those. I actually think that the the normal reading of that text it's early, it's evening, it's morning. That's the normal way of reading it. The first day, and so it's talking about six twenty-four hour days of creation. So I'm going to give you two ways that I can believe. In a young earth with 24-hour days of creation, okay? First of all, much of the age that we see on the earth is, I believe, that God created the world with apparent age. Just like when Adam was created, when he was an hour old. He didn't look like a one-hour-old infant. He looked mm -hmm. like a fully grown man. Mm -hmm. So when God created the trees and he created the mountains and he created the rivers and he created all the things that he created, he made the world look like it had many, many years, millions of years built into it. So that's huh. the very first thing. He even created the light years uh, from the star, the, the light of the stars to come to the earth, right? So God created the world with apparent age. And then secondly, cataclysm. Uh, so often we forget that when there's a cataclysm, it makes things look much older. For example, uh, when Mount St. Helens blew in about 1980, mm -hmm. uh, the entire top of the mountain blew off, right? The forest there landed down in Spirit Lake, covered with ash and, and lava, and, and those trees floated on the water. But the weight of all that, the, the trees became waterlogged, particularly the roots became waterlogged, which were heavier. And so those trees floated to the bottom, and it looks right now, and because of the lava and the, the, the ash, it became fossilized. So there's a fossilized forest at the bottom of the lake right now below Mount St. Helens. And a person scuba diving there, let's say, would see that and say, ah, millions of years ago there was a lake, there was a forest here. And now it's a lake. It looks like something that's very, very old, when in fact we know it's about 60 years old. Well, how did that happen? Cataclysm. 
that great volcano, right? The point being, there was a worldwide cataclysm that took place. Now, I'm not saying 4000 BC. I'm not a 4000 BC creator, uh, creation person. But very early on in the primeval world, there was the worldwide flood, the universal flood. And as a result of that, there was a great deal of cataclysm. I think it explains things like the Grand Canyon. I think it explains uh, uh, many of the geographical and, or I would say, geological formations that we have because of the cataclysm of the worldwide flood. And as a result, every time people point out, oh, this is so old or that's so old, I think, well, it either has a parent age or it looks old because of cataclysm. And I can still stick with the biblical text as to what it says and what it means. I like this explanation. I've never heard this, that right. that God uh, could have created it with apparent age that explains why things look um, to have taken millions of years to form. So that's I'm going to have to chew on that one. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. The questions are now pouring in, Tom. Uh, are they really? Yes. Okay. Well, of course, we're, we're not going like, to get to them all. Out of time, but what we're going to have to do is, is, is hold <laughs> on to these for next week, Michael, because truly, it's just the queue is truly just, just yeah. filling up. Uh, let, let me ask okay. you just this one question as we're wrapping up our time. Um, it has to do with uh, the book of Revelation. I was reading through that as I was wrapping up doing 52 weeks of the Word with Trillian Newbell. And after the millennial reign, um, for a time, Satan has to be released. And, and first of all, I, I said, well, why in the world does God do it that way? Why can't just the millennial reign continue forever? And my wife says to me, because God has designed it that way, that's the way it is. And here's my question, though. It says that he will be released for a time. My question is, is the word time the same as how he talks about the, the seven-year tri tribulation or the three and a half years where it's a time, uh, times, times and time and, and a half? And, okay. yeah. is, is it a year or is it just— I don't know it, if it's a year. It's a brief time. Okay. It doesn't— uh, the reason that happens, by the way, it's not just because God ordained it. It's not because God just has a T-shirt on that says, because I'm God, that's why. Okay. You know, uh, that's, you know, like, because I'm the mommy, that's why. I see <laughs> uh, uh, but no, it, uh, God the Father has determined this. And here's the reason. Thousand years, there are going to be people entering the millennial kingdom who are not yet glorified. For example, all the people, the, the Jewish people who come to faith at the end of the tribulation period uh, and believe in Jesus, they will enter the kingdom, but they will not yet be glorified. Right? Okay. They won't be immortal. And there will be the nations that are judged. Matthew 25 it talks about the judgment of the nations. Also Joel chapter 3 uh, that takes place in the Valley of Judgment or the Kidron Valley outside of Jerusalem. The believing, the, the sheep, so to speak, and the sheep and the goats judgment, they enter the millennial kingdom without yet being glorified. Hmm. They will marry. They will have children. Their children will have to come to know the Lord. Hmm. They will have to trust in Jesus. Uh, and as such, and this is really kind of amazing when you think of it, there are going to be people in the millennial kingdom who have not become believers. I mean, that's going to happen because everyone will have to make a choice. So there Jesus will be reigning on the throne and there will be some who don't know him. And at the end of that thousand year reign, think about it. No devil. He's bound. Yet when released, they will follow him. And the the reason they will say why they weren't believers. 
I don't know why they will say they don't believe, but I can tell you what they can't say. The devil made me not believe. Mm. Remember old mm -hmm. Flip Wilson, the devil oh, made yeah. me do it? Yeah. It's to show the utter depravity of humanity. Mm. We can't blame the enemy. It's us. Mm. You know, I, I've seen the enemy and he is us. That's, you know, that's what we learn about humanity uh, in the Millennial Kingdom is to show the utter helplessness of humanity and there our need to utterly depend on the Lord Jesus for forgiveness because it's it's not outside forces that keep us from believing it's our own unwillingness our own flesh that keep us from from believing so that's what I believe is going on there one last time and then that last uprising when Satan coalesces it he'll be defeated cast into the lake of fire and then we enter into eternity.